Hello friends, welcome to Tech Humanity, the weekly podcast where we examine the intersection between technology and humanity. I'm your host, Tony Kashani. In the 21st century, the so-called digital age, ones and zeros tend to determine much of what we call reality. Do you ever question the nature of your reality? Do you ever wonder how new technologies, things like social media, apps for humanistic ideas, and so on, shape your consciousness? Are we in charge of technology, or is technology in charge of us? Will singularity become a reality and AI, artificial intelligence, become the new creator, competing directly with the metaphysical God? These are some of the ideas and questions I will examine in this episode and many more in the future. Today, I'm going to talk about machine learning. In previous episodes, I have discussed briefly AI and its algorithms and have made references to machine learning. But in this episode, I will get into describing in somewhat a little bit of detail, conceptually, how AI's machine learning works. Let's call it a conceptual analysis, shall we? When something becomes ubiquitous, like smartphones, we tend not to see it. Machine learning has a hidden ubiquity that is unique and new to history of humanity. But before I get into all of this, I want to share with you a couple of stories. Thought experiments, really. I was thinking about the ways in which Big tech companies tend to keep us in the dark about how algorithms work, how machine learning is operating behind the scenes. When we get on social media and and things like that, uh, we know that the stuff works and we have a vague and opaque knowledge of what goes on behind the scenes, but we don't know exactly what's happening. I was watching the other day uh, one of my favorite TV shows that actually aired back in the 70s, and I discovered it, of course, later, after many years after this show had been canceled, Uh, and you too can discover it. It's called Kung Fu, which is a mixture of action-adventure, Western, martial arts, and philosophy, Uh, to be specific. Taoist philosophy and uh, there was this one episode that I was watching and it reminded me of something that I was thinking about sharing with you about how to understand uh, technology and its impact on us particularly machine learning for this episode let me share with you uh, this particular scene the hero of the story who's traveling, you know, in, in Western United States in search of his half-brother and, and, and so on, uh, often through flashbacks, remembers when he was a child and his masters would teach him philosophy of Taoism uh, as well as the discipline of training the body to become ready for acceptance of such philosophies. And this one scene is particularly relevant for today's discussion. In the scene, uh, the little boy 
about nine, ten years old, uh, walks into the temple, and the blind master notices his presence. The master calls out to him. He says, you are the new student. Come closer. And the boy gets closer to the master and realizes that the master is blind. So the boy says, you cannot see. And the master replies, you think I cannot see? And the boy responds, of all things to live in darkness must be the worst. The master laughs and replies, fear is the only darkness and orders the boy to take the broom that is nearby and tells him, take the broom and strike me with it. The boy is perplexed. You want me to strike you with this broom? Do as I tell you, the master replies. And the boy tries to hit the master, but he quickly deflects the strike. Strike again, here, again. He's able to quickly deflect the strike. Then he tells the boy, Never assume that because the man has no eyes, he cannot see. Then he orders the boy to close his eyes. He tells him, Close your eyes. What do you hear? The boy closes his eyes and concentrates. He tells the master, I hear the water. I hear the birds. The master asks, Do you hear your own heartbeat? Do you hear the grasshopper which is at your feet? And the boy opens his eyes, and to his astonishment, there is a grasshopper near his feet. And the boy, quite surprised, tells the master, Old man, how is it that you hear this thing? And the master laughs and tells the boy, Young man, how is it that you do not? The next uh, little nugget I want to share with you is a thought experiment by American philosopher John Searle, who is known as a philosopher of consciousness. He also has uh, much to say about technology and philosophy of technology, particularly artificial intelligence. This thought experiment, which is very famous, is known as the Chinese Room. And I'll read uh, the description of the experiment. John Searle asks us to imagine someone who knows only English. And they're sitting alone in a room following English instructions for manipulating strings of Chinese characters. So for those outside of the room, it appears that the person inside the room understands Chinese, because this is what they see. They see the person uh, drawing Chinese characters. The argument is supposed to show that while advanced computers may appear to understand and converse in natural language, they're not capable of understanding language. This is because computers are strictly limited to the exchange of symbolic strings. The Chinese room was meant to be a killer argument against artificial intelligence. But 
in all honesty, is a bit of an oversimplification of how AI operates. Particularly, and this happens to be the word of the day, particularly how artificial intelligence is gaining ground with machine learning. But with all of that said, John Searle has a point. He suggests that there is the potential for an AI to act and behave as if there is conscious awareness and understanding, but he doesn't see it as consciousness. And of course, you know, this is problematic because it may be convincing to us, us human mortals, that true comprehension is going on where there is none. So, John Searle gives us a, a caveat. He says, be warned. Be very careful. The so-called smart machines are not all that smart anyways. Because all they do is spit out what we, the human beings, give them. Then there is the philosopher Robert Nozick's famous experience machine. Another thought experiment. And how does this one go? And this is, of course, from his uh, famous book, Anarchy, State, and Utopia, which was written in 1974. Uh, it goes something like this. Suppose there were an, ex an experience machine uh, that would give you any experience you desired. A neuropsychologist could stimulate your brain so that you would think and feel you were writing a great novel or making a friend, or reading an interesting book. All the time, you would be floating in a tank with electrodes attached to your brain. Does the movie Matrix come to mind? It sure does for me. Should you plug into this machine for life, pre-programming your life experiences? Of course, while in the tank, you won't know that you're there. You'll think that it's all actually happening. Would you plug in? Should that be the choice? Would you plug in? So this is the ultimate question that is yielded through this thought experiment. The basic idea here is that we have very good reasons to plug ourselves into such a machine. Because we live in a universe with no apparent purpose, if you think in existential terms, and because our lives are often characterized by less than ideal conditions, much suffering and injustice is happening around us. So we have no good reason to not opt for something substantially better, even if it is artificial. But what about our humanity, our dignity, our sense of imagination, our capabilities, uh, for compassion, for love, for the intangibles that machines uh, may never understand, even if they develop consciousness, which would be a machine-like consciousness. Nonetheless, I think Nozick's thought experiment uh, gives us something to think about. Because if you look around, many people opt to plug in and stay plugged in. People spend countless hours on social media, playing video games, and entertaining themselves with 
countless hours of binge-watching through streaming services and amusing themselves, essentially, uh, through entertainment products that, that give them perpetual mesmerizing state of mind. Now, let's talk about machine learning. The fact of the matter is that machine learning is all around us. Anytime you type a query into a search engine of your choice, which for many people happens to be Google, it is Google's world after all, and we're just living in it, as people might say. Every time you do that, anytime you go to Amazon.com to buy something, anytime you stream something through Netflix or Amazon or Showtime or HBO, what's happening is a machine learning system is working, recommending movies for us, connecting us to particular programs, and so on. So machine learning is doing all the work behind the scenes. So what is machine learning? Before we can talk about machine learning, we gotta talk about algorithms a bit. You don't have machine learning if you don't have algorithms. Our society, in fact, many societies, let's just say the world, is changing all around us. And it's changing one learning algorithm at a time. Artificial intelligence, to use the umbrella term, is remaking pretty much everything that is humanistic and even universal. It is remaking the way in which we do science, how technologies are advancing, how we do commerce, political systems rely upon AI, and war and peace is decided sometimes because of AI and through AI's algorithms. We have things like DNA sequencers. We've got particle accelerators that help us find out about the nature of physical reality and perhaps the other dimensions of reality that are not known to us now and only theoretically we can discuss them. In any event, the fact of the matter is that machine learning is operating like a god. When you examine the history of humanity, you see that humans have always tried to adapt the world to themselves rather than adapting themselves to the world. And machine learning is the latest innovation. An innovation that magically solves problems for us, gives us new insights, and predicts our behavior, and ultimately manipulates us. But there is mystery around learning algorithms. What are these things? How do they work? Why do they have to be in the dark? Why is it that only an elite group of techies must know about algorithms? What is it so difficult about algorithms to learn? Well, the answer is that it's not really difficult. 
A conceptual model can easily be built where we understand how the stuff works, and with deep understanding comes new critical engagement with that understanding. And heck, we could even create a new world that is built upon ideas that are democratic, just, and beneficial to all of humanity and not just a small group. So what happens when your computer, for example, swallows all those terabytes and, and magically comes up with new solutions for you? Quick calculations, quick answers to questions. How does that work? So what's an algorithm? I like the definition that Pedro Domingos offers in his very readable book, The Master Algorithm. In the first chapter, he gives us a definition of algorithm, one that I really like. An algorithm is a sequence of instructions telling a computer what to do. Computers are made of billions of tiny switches called transistors, and algorithms turn those switches on and off billions of times per second. This simplest algorithm is flip a switch. The state of one transistor is one bit of information. One if the transistor on is on, and zero if it's off. It's that simple. Also, you have to remember that an algorithm is not just any set of instructions. These instructions have to be precise and unambiguous to be executed by a computer. Otherwise, the computer will run into all kinds of problems. So an algorithm is not a cooking recipe where you can just sort of say a pinch of salt, a sort of a cup of rice, etc., etc. You have to be very precise. Numbers, ones and zeros. The computer has to know how to execute the algorithm all the way down to turning specific transistors on and off. So essentially, an algorithm is both theory and device. Every algorithm has an input and an output. The data goes into the computer. The algorithm does what it will with it. And out comes the result. So what happens with machine learning? The machine learning does something a little different. First goes data. In other words, data input and the desired result, and then output comes out the algorithm. So in other words, you give the machines that are learning how to create algorithms the data, and the more data, the better it, it can be. And then it comes out the algorithm that the machines give us. So these become essentially the learning algorithms. I hope you're following me with this. In the industry uh, jargon, this is known as a learner. Algorithms that make other algorithms are the learners. With machine learning, computers write their own programs. This is what John Searle would think, well, they may be writing their own programs, but do they have consciousness? Well, they don't today. But what if they did down the road? Ultimately, 
we can write our own little algorithm by saying the more data we have, the more we can learn. No data, nothing to learn. Metadata, lots to learn. This is where Google, Facebook, and Amazon, the giants of the tech industry, uh, decide to become the gatekeepers. They collect all this data. They've got the algorithms. They have the biggest computers, and those with the biggest computers have more power, and they're able to create algorithms to tell us what to do with our lives. Should we turn that around? I say yes. Thank you for listening. In the future episodes, we'll get into this at more detail. I look forward to speaking with you again.